Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with legendary jazz musician and journalist Ben Sidron on the new 2022 CD, Swing State. This is his first all-instrumental record as a piano trio. His favorite records when he was a kid were the trios of Horace Silver, Bobby Timmons, Bud Powell, and the great Sonny Clark. Circling back 60-some years later, he wanted to feel like those musicians in the way that they played. We cover the story of this album, live gigs, COVID, and the busy future along with a little bit more. Enjoy. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Oh, man, it's so good to hear from you. I'm wonderful. How's life? Life is great, man. We just had a couple of nights of great gigs at Mesro, so uh, that was great. And, uh, you know, I'm hanging here with Leo, and everything's cool. <laughs> right on. You know, that's the thing that's so good from my end of things. You know, I ramped up so much when the pandemic started with interviews that it was like no one was doing anything. Like, all these conversations for the last two or three months is like a cathartic wash. The fact that you cats are out, you guys are having great gigs, it's like, Finally, things are getting back to, you know, what it should be. You guys out there doing things in your element. Yeah, yeah, that's what it felt like. The first gig was kind of strange. It was the first one in two years. Uh, then the second night was fantastic. So we're back on the horse. I love it, man. And, you know, I got to tell you, just as a side note, I've always loved the relationship you have with your son. You guys remind me of the father-son duo at the end of Field of Dreams. You guys are right there in heaven playing baseball together. That's exactly right, man. We're very, very <laughs> lucky. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It emanates. Well, hey, man, I really, really dig Swing State. My native element is to get that in the car and watch the world whiz by, and it's just been a wonderful listen, so I just wanted to say that up front as well. Oh, that's great, Joe. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that, and uh, that's where I listen to my copy, man. I get in the car and I drive. That's it. It just, everything opens up, but it, you know, from what I was reading in the liners and then comparing that to listening to it, it's almost like there's a part of you that got to like an elemental core of why you love jazz. Is that kind of an accurate description for this album? That's exactly right, man. It it has to, you know, they always say with, uh, with, with jazz musicians, as you get older, you simplify and you become more connected to, to what brought you in the first place. There's no doubt that's that's what happened to me. I finally felt like I was I was ready to do this. And you know, it's in part because you know, the heroes of this music are and were so great that it's it's challenging to step up into that ring naked, you know, and 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 I've always, you know, relied on my writing, but this time I just went to the heart of it. You know, the one thing that's been unmistakable over this last two years is the way that COVID has changed us, whether as musicians or humans. Is there a level of this new album that kind of became what it is because of revelations or realizations of living through COVID and what we've been through? Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, you know, I, I had, you know, just like everybody else, stopped traveling. And uh, so I was home all the time and I was able to just sit at the piano a lot and and play. And eventually I started to play these songs that I remembered from literally 60 years ago. I really enjoyed playing them. It was like, a, you know, getting into a nice warm bath or something. So that was definitely uh an impetus to record that. I, I was having so much fun playing these songs and you know, it it's for me it's not nostalgic because I'm 
living this life you know i mean it's it, this is it like you say the core of of what got me into it you live most of your life as a performer without having to deal with something like a pandemic and this is obviously a magnanimous human event that rocked everybody but coming out of that, this is a quite unique time for, I think, a performer to look out into an audience after this long of a absence. What's it like to look out as a performer at a live audience? What's it feel like now? Uh, people are just so happy to be out. You can tell. And they're very respectful. You know, it's it, when they're in the room, they're listening. Uh, and they're paying attention to everything and they're enjoying it. I mean, it's like a primal experience uh, now people have kind of moved on from the ongoing party of the pre-pandemic time, and uh, you know everybody got kind of a, a a wake-up call, and so you can feel that in the room. And I guess that's the thing about this. What do you hope we continue to hold on to and realize about the power of live music as we, in these first couple months, and even on and on? you know, get back to it. What do you hope we hold on to about live music? Simplicity, man. It's just go down to the club or go to the, the gig and just bathe in the water of the infinite flow, man. Get in there because music is our primal mother tongue. And, uh, you know, if if we can just get back to the the feeling that we're part of something bigger, you know, that's, that's really what it is. You know, it's been every man for himself and every woman too, for a long time. Let the, let the music bring you to the present moment. It'll, it'll really make what we went through efficacious, man, worthwhile. You know, one of the things that I noticed for years and years covering jazz in Kansas city is whenever I would ask a musician, what's the greatest part about being a part of this community, they would always say the community, the supporting part so my question to you is, as the, the world of entertainment overall, but more specifically because what we're doing is jazz, as we resuscitate and get back to life, how do you think it's going to come back stronger? I mean, a lot of cats had to learn new skills, whether it was technology or promotion, Bandcamp Friday, there was different things. But how do you see this community emerging as a stronger organism? Well, I think, first of all, everybody, uh, aside from missing performing, missed the social part of it, hanging out with other musicians. I think like last night, a bunch of musicians came down and other people came down and we were all just so glad to see each other and to be in the room together. So I think that's something that's going to really uh, uh, hit people, uh, how much we missed each other and missed the, the social aspect of it. Uh, the other thing uh, that I think is going to happen is that the gigs you know, have never honestly been about money. You know, uh, you know the joke, how does a jazz musician make a million dollars? He starts with $2 million. And, <laughs> That's right. You know, so uh, I, I think just appreciating uh, what we have and what this music is and not worrying about what it isn't. Uh, music's very special. And uh, we were talking about this after the gig last night. You know, historically, the last 10 years, uh, you almost have to be a monk. You had to be a monk to play this, to survive. And yes, social media, we all got smarter. Uh, streaming. I mean, we played at uh, Mesro, uh, which is connected to Smalls, which is one of the few clubs in New York that really did well, or survived, anyway, during the pandemic, through streaming. And... Uh, 
So we're smarter, definitely. But, you know, there's something about being in a room with people makes the music sound better. And from a musician's point of view, there's nothing like it. Uh, anyway, that's what it brought home to me. Uh, I, I used to maybe take that lightly. Uh, but after last night, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a convert, man. You've got you to be out there with the folks. You know, the one thing that I've tried to kind of hone in on with a lot of younger musicians out there is, how has this affected a lot of these crops of graduates and younger cats? And there was one person in particular, her name is Grace Fox. She's in New York. She's 19. She's a big band leader. She has an album out. And it seems like resoundingly all these younger players say the crop of new jazz musician has never been stronger. That has to be promising for this genre to, to, to feel like the younger generation hasn't been wavered by this and they're going in full on. Well, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, we have more uh, and more and better p prepared players now than have ever been out there. Um, the uh, the one thing that I think the pandemic might actually have been a benefit is that adversity has always been a big part of being a jazz musician. You know, whether it's individual adversity, like how do you get your style together and how do you learn how to survive on the road? Uh, but also, you know, you, you're dealing with a lot of economic uh, elements and it really brings home where this music came from. So when musicians say to each other, yeah, baby, tell your story, it brings home this whole idea that jazz is storytelling. It's narrative playing. And so now we've got all these gifted young players. And I think um, aside from all the other challenges, this is going to... Uh, separate the uh, uh, wheat from the chaff, you know. I mean, this is a, a very interesting time because so many players are so well prepared. And at the same time, the reality, the economic reality, uh, honestly has never been more stark. I mean, to make a middle-class living these days, you need to make, what, $50,000 or something? Yeah. Well, if you, do the, if you do the economics of being a jazz musician... $50,000 a year, that's netting, let's just say, $1,000 a week after you pay all your expenses and everything. That ain't easy. That is not easy. So, um, yeah, yeah, th these are promising times and challenging times. You know, I've been talking to a lot of Canadian jazz musicians, and, I, and, it, and it really dawned on me over this pandemic. You know, they get their health care taken care of, and the government really gives grants to a lot of musicians. What a wonderful idea that you don't have to worry about health care and they are there to support the arts. I've always thought that's very interesting and how that would really benefit the, the artistic community in America if that was more and more a reality. Oh, my God, yes. Absolutely. It's a huge thing. You know, I'm, I'm on Medicare now. I'm, I'm over 65. And uh, what a difference. I mean, uh, before I turned 65, I was paying... Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year for calamity insurance, you know, for yeah. twenty thousand dollar deductible insurance. Uh, that's a huge chunk out of a musician's uh, economic life. You're absolutely right. And the same thing in Europe. You know, you go to all these European countries. You go to Denmark and Holland and everything. Not only are the musicians getting their health insurance, but they get unemployment. You know, uh, in France. If uh, if you clocked enough hours playing gigs, 
when the gigs dry up, you get unemployment. Well, and that's the thing I think that's key to this is that when you have your government that genuinely holds that the arts up, and that's exactly what I feel from them. And, and I can feel there's a ease in their voice, too, because they don't have to worry about it. I mean, I remember years ago when I was really getting into jazz in Kansas City, they had a Coda Jazz concert, and Claude Fiddler Williams and a lot of older cats were there. And it was a, it was a fund to just get these guys a funeral. And I'm thinking, man, alive, that's like the end of the road for them. But all of the years they had to worry about health insurance just to survive, to make art. But you get an environment like these Canadians that get, you know, the government saying, we value what you do. What you do is an important contribution to humanity. And that's beautiful. And that's beautiful. And that's something uh, where America is really... Uh, in the Stone Age, uh, you know, America is dog eat dog, and it's uh, it's a fact that uh, you know, uh, particularly the Republicans for years have wanted to destroy the national endowment for the arts. Why should we pay for arts? And what what strikes me is the the assumption there is well, the arts are just like the frosting on the cake, you know, that it's not essential. But the fact is. You know, uh, without the arts, and you can, by, by the arts, uh, spread it across all, from theater to, to literature to music, painting, dance. Um, without that, life is just an endless series of bad television shows and problems <laughs> with your car, and, right? Yep. Arts, yeah. arts are, are the appetite. It's not the frosting on the cake. It's the appetite for life. And uh, America never really got that. They were too busy in the, you know, the democracy of dog eat dog. You know, that's the American democracy. Yeah, we're all equal. And good luck. Well, you know, if you look at this pandemic when it started, everybody was getting into Netflix. They were getting online and looking at art. They were listening to music while they worked out. It's, it's the backbone of why we didn't go into madness and darkness. And that's the thing about it. It's, it's, it, it is. It's the appetite. It's the essential to making sure that we, like, stay together. It's as important as spirituality. You know, it is a glue that keeps us bound to some level of rationality. It is spirituality, man. I like to yeah. point out that 40,000 years ago when people were living in caves, you know, and they were painting on the walls, you know, uh, anthropologists uh, and archaeologists actually found musical instruments on the floors of the caves. They found flutes. They found percussion instruments. This is back before formal uh, language grammar. There was music, and I'm sure the reason music was important is because it caused the community to coalesce. It brought them together. You know, when everybody is dancing or singing or, or, or playing, they come, they come together, and that is the basis of religion. That is spirituality. Absolutely. You know, and the one thing I was thinking about that uh, really hit home during this pandemic is this almost seemed like something for, for all of the artists that are out there. You jazz musicians are always thrown into the unknown and you have to make something beautiful out of it. When this began and the chaos that started, no one knew what was going to go on. Of all of the artists out there, this is your life. Every time you go and you get ready to get on stage, you have no idea. No one will ever hear it that way again. You are the uniqueness artists on this planet. And I realized that over this pandemic. Yeah, I've always thought that jazz musicians are like canaries in the coal mine. You know, when they stop singing, 
you got to stop digging and run, man. The, the, <laughs> idea, the, the idea of uh, being a jazz musician and living on the rim of the well, you know, that delicate balance between trying to do something you don't know, like Miles said, don't play me what you know, play me what you don't know. That's what we're out here doing all the time. So uh, we are experienced in, um, you know, making making something happen. How do you make something? How do you make something new happen that's connected to the tradition? Uh, that is what we do. And the pandemic just put everybody in that space where you have to improvise. That's exactly what everybody had to do. So let's get to the good business here, Ben, of the most ideal place people can buy or stream Swing State and see you live perform it. To buy Swing State, if you still have a CD player, uh, then you go to Amazon and buy the CD. If you no longer have a CD player, you can go to Bandcamp and uh, purchase it there. You can go to my website, bensidron.com, and on the landing page, there are links uh if you, because a lot of people uh, don't want to go to Amazon or, or whatever, uh, that gives you alternative ways to purchase the music. And of course, you can always stream the music uh, at the various streaming sites itself. In terms of where do you see me? Uh, next week, you see me in Paris. Uh, the following week, Madrid. Uh, the week after that, in London at Ronnie Scott's Club. And then uh, this summer, I'm playing in Chicago at the Green Mill and Minneapolis at a club called Crooners. In the fall, we'll be in California. Ben, hey, thank you for your time. Thank you for the music. You're one of my favorite people on the planet. I appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much, Joe. You stay well. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview. We give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Ben for his class, cool, and music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. And for all things Joe Domino, go to joedomino.com. And there you can contribute through Patreon or PayPal to the Neon Jazz cause. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.